This is the weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, your hosts, Drew Dawkin and Grant Collins, will have an in-depth conversation about what's happening in the markets. Good afternoon, everybody. Today, it is May 11th at the time we're recording. Uh, we just dropped a special edition podcast, so hopefully uh, you've gotten a chance to listen to it. Uh, if not, we highly recommend it. Last week, we spoke with Jonathan Golub at uh, Credit Suisse, and he had some really, really interesting takes on the economy and, and what's going on with COVID-19 right now. Today, markets were pretty flat all in all. Um, you know, what you saw was the Dow was down um, slightly. Dow was down by 109 points or, or 0.045%, ending the day at 24,221. The S&P 500 was up a little bit, um, 0.52 points or 0.02%. And then today at 2,930, uh, we saw volatility drop by 1.47%. We saw the 10-year treasury remained unchanged at 0.707% on the 10-year. Um, so all in all, you know, pretty, pretty stagnant. Had some big numbers last week. Uh, did not farm payrolls. We know that 20.5 million Americans will lose, lost their job in April. So the unemployment's sitting at about 14.7%. To put that in context, the financial peak uh, was about 10% in October 2009. When we're looking at the Great Recession. But insofar as the Great Depression, highs were much larger. They were at 24.9%. Um, like additionally, unemployment insurance claims over the last seven weeks have been at 33.5 million. So that's, uh, to put that in context, you know, there was 22.4 million jobs created during the Great Recession. Um, so that's, you know, we, we've surpassed all, all gains since the Great Recession in terms of the job market. Uh, Grant, I know you have some insight on the market, but also on some of the movers and shakers. So, uh, yeah, what do you got for us? Well, I, just to go back for a second, the unemployment number coming out just below 15% is pretty staggering, but with all the weekly data that, that has come out, I don't think it was too unexpected, so we didn't see anything too crazy happen in the markets. Some big movers today, we saw a zoom up just over 7%, uh, which makes makes sense because now a lot of fi- in our in our world, a lot of financial advisors are now on Zoom as well as companies as everyone's going more to the to the digital world. One other company that I thought was interesting is BlackRock was down 4%, the investment management company, one of the largest in the world. And the reason for that is there was an announcement of a secondary offering of common stock held by PNC. PNC holds about 22 economic ownership interest in BlackRock. And so they will be exiting their, their full investment, which is some interesting news. So be on the lookout to see if BlackRock continues to move. Yeah, one of the big takeaways I got from last week as well was some of the earnings calls that come in, came in. So, I mean, uh, you know, a new study by the Federal Reserve researchers, what they use is like a machine program and they sifted through 600 earnings calls uh, for the month of April. And indeed, what they discovered was that, you know, there's about 42% of America's uh, companies that are not publicly traded are discussing, you know, slashing investments. So when we take the composition and a comp- compilation of all these earnings calls, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who are looking at slashing, slashing investments or 
are talking about equity payouts and, um, you know, drawing down on credit lines and, and all sorts of stuff, right? Could you imagine having to sit through 600 earnings call? I mean, that would just be <laughs> cruel and unusual. Yeah. But it, it it is interesting to to, to see how uh, a lot of CEOs and CFOs are trying to communicate how big of an impact this is having on their businesses because we're seeing a collapse in demand. We're seeing global supply chain have disruptions, and then we're seeing really – inconsistencies across the, the nation right now on some states opening, some states not opening, what's the timeline for reopening? And so I think that's having a, a big impact on, on a lot of what we're hearing in, in earnings. Uh, it's just interesting to see that this has had such a, a big pressure on all of corporate America, not just certain sectors, but, but everywhere. And we're seeing that throughout a lot of these earning calls. Yeah, we've seen, you know, bankruptcies um, jump up. And, you know, based if we're looking at trends in 2008, sentiment most likely won't, won't normalize for, for the better course of a year. Um, so, so that's definitely something to look at. One of the industries that we've talked about that has been very, very affected and now wants some relief, which is that airlines, you know, want relief from a lot of the new federally mandated minimum flight requirements as the passenger numbers have dropped. So that's going to be, you know, we're seeing some of the lowest travel numbers since the 1950s and, you know, they're calling the requirements unsustainable. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens from a lobbyist perspective uh, in regards to a lot of the major, you know, airline companies, you know, Delta, American, Southwest, JetBlue, et cetera. Well, the, 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 they're just burning through cash right now. Every single major American-based uh, airline is just burning through cash. As we talked about last week, there's an average of 17 passengers on, on domestic flights, and the 737s that usually are, are being flown can hold 162 passengers. So air travel's down about 95%. I think you have to work with them a little bit here because if people aren't flying, uh, which I don't think people will for, for the foreseeable future, having these mandated minimum returns is is just going to, or not returns, but uh, requirement of flights, we're, we're going to see a lot of these airlines continue just to just to bleed. Um, you know, overall, I, I think they're, 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 they're going to have to work with them a little bit here because we may see some of them uh, not have the liquidity to keep on burning this amount of cash. Right. They're going through about, $10 billion in cash a month, according to that lobbying group, um, you know, that's been, that was, that just missed, recently met in the Senate. And yes, and we've seen, you know, travel decline to some of the lowest levels since before the jet age. So you're, you're talking about the 1950s. I guess some things that lawmakers are worried about are that for a lot of the flights that have been canceled, they, people have been receiving, you know, vouchers as opposed to, you know, um, getting getting their cash back, uh, airlines say they they can't support it. But at the same time, if you're a consumer advocate, you're going to be worried because at this point, no one wants to travel. And if they've had a flight, you know they they planned three months ago. You know they want cash. They don't want to they don't want to vouch to go to Bora Bora. You know, so it's just so so that that is going to be an issue. Right. Yeah. Then that that is a good point because the taxpayers who are are bailing them out effectively are then also on the hook because they're getting 
uh, added frequent flyer miles in, instead of cash in a time when they need cash, which which does make sense. Overall, I, it was a good point that Jonathan brought up on our on our guest podcast that he said after 9/11, a lot of people looked at, to airlines that there was going to be a huge decrease, and after a few, there were some implications put in around security. But then after 18 months, two years, we saw air travel actually continue to increase. And I think now we're, we may see air travel and demand pretty flat, but by next summer, I think people are going are gonna to want to travel and, and there will be a, an increase in demand, but it's just if these airlines are, are going to be able to hang on, really. Uh, so we'll have to continue to see, watch that. Another interesting market that we definitely should hit on uh, is the the future of beef in the United States. I, I never thought that we would have a have a conversation about uh, Americans eating less beef, but I guess now with uh, with the Wonder Burger and uh, and all of these Beyond Meats really starting to take hold. What's your take on the future of beef? I, I know you're a big fan of those of those Wonder Whoppers over there, uh, Drew. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, what we're seeing is a lot of absenteeism and a lot of the meat packing plants. So if we're looking at JBS, which is a plant in Greeley, Colorado, you know, you got absenteeism as much as 30%. Uh, before the pandemic, you know, we were looking at 13%. So there's a lot of people just who aren't showing up to work at meatpacking plants. Uh, and that's true of pork as it is of beef. So, so I do think, you know, you're going to see what could be a considerable amount of inflation in, in beef prices. And we've seen that, you know, already to some degree. So when you're looking at, uh, you know, companies like Beyond Meat and stuff, I do think they might be a good, um, they might be a good pick or they're going to be a popular alternative uh, admits such such high inflation. I mean, you know, you're looking at uh, you know, there's there's been lots of deaths in in meatpacking plants. You know, twenty there's twenty deaths or so among you know employees across uh, you know the 100 115 meat plants across 19 states, and and you know people just don't want to go back to work in in big processing facilities like that. Um, you know, we might have to euthanize as much as seven million pigs uh, the second quarter. So so it's just uh, you know, meat supplies are going to shrink quite a bit by Memorial Day. Some people think up to 30%. So it's, it's pretty wild. And, and you can't really blame them, right? Because uh, they're just working down the line and they're very close-knit to each other. And there's, I won't get into the details, but I'm sure there's fluids flying everywhere. And of the, there was almost 5,000 workers who fell ill uh, in just one pork plant. And so I, 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 I can see why people don't want to go to work. Uh, I, I also saw that Memorial Day 30% down, which will be demoralizing because I know everyone wants to have their baby back ribs then. Uh, but one thing to, to watch is definitely uh, on the squawk on the street with, with Kramer last week. He was talking about Beyond Meat as, a, as an interesting company to look at. They currently have a market value of 7.2 billion which which is pretty large uh, <laughs> considering that they are a relatively newer company uh, but th they have had a pretty volatile stock and I think it's going to be something to continue to watch if we do see a decrease in meat and consumers have to shift towards towards a, another substitute 
they could be the recipient of of some luck there, and we could see that their their sales continue to increase moving forward. Yeah, the the company is still relatively small fry, you know, compared to a lot of things we're thinking. But you know, they had a quarterly net income of one point eight million. Um, so you know, at the same time last year, you're looking at net losses of of six million. Um, so so yeah, I, I I do think that you know plant plant based meat options are gonna are going to increase uh, whether, you know, there's other, they, there's other rivals like impossible foods and that kind of thing as well. Um, and uh, you know, you're seeing that there's grocery stores launching their own private labels. Um, you know, Kroger, you know, just, just, just had a private launch and, and I think there might be others as well. So it's definitely going to be, but you got to be able to take the distance, the, the difference, don't you, Drew? I mean, it, 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 it can't taste the same as, as good old beef. No, I mean, well, <laughs> For for the for the, <laughs> I would have said that you know over the last ten years I've been eating faba beans you know and and you're trying to tell me it's, uh, it's Kobe beef but but uh, recently <laughs> you know I I think the Impossible Burger kind of has changed the game you know uh, to some extent I mean I've only had a couple uh, they're, not, they're they're you know they're not gonna be my fan favorite but you know they're they're about as close as it gets so uh, I do think <laughs> I do think it's changed a little bit. <laughs> Definitely, and I do believe that if we if we just look at Beyond Meat, they had their initial public their IPO in May 2019, and they have had uh, quite a volatile ride at $25 per share, and then by last July, their stock was valued at uh, $240, and then it lost it cratered and, and lost about 70% of value by, by December. So be interesting to see if we continue to see that volatility especially if we see a shortage of meat i mean no definitely um you know and with the, with there's going to be scarcity in, in terms of all these things uh and affects the supply chain but but we're certainly seeing a reopening of things right now more than half of states have started reopening and some some of them are doing it not having met the uh the guidelines right so there there are not is uh, still might be above one, but you know, according to the Center of Disease, can, the CDC, you know, I mean, you're looking at it can be incubation periods can be between two to 14 days. So with all the reopening, it might still be a few weeks to see um, whether or not you know we're we're, we're seeing a dramatic spike in cases and fatalities. Um, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. There's going to be really going to be have to in a watch and hold pattern over the next three weeks here. Well, that's the scary part about it is, is there is the incubation period. So by the time we get through different phases of reopening, we could see a big increase of cases and we may have to go into a, a total shutdown. We saw Japan's second largest island. They had reopened and then about three weeks later, they had to shut down again because of the increase in cases. And I think that could have a, a really big impact uh, on the economy if, if some places are starting to reopen and, and then we see a a surge of cases and, and having to shut down again. I think we could really see a, a second drop in, in the market alone, but it's, it, it's hard to say, especially because we don't have the, the antibody test yet to be able to say who has had it and who hasn't, but it's going to be interesting to see as some states are reopening, not following the exact guidelines from, from the white house and other aspects and how each state is really, having their own different flavor of reopening. I, it would be nice to see a consistency across the board, but it'll be, it, it's, it's going to 
we'll, we'll find out <laughs> in two to three weeks whether uh, which reopening strategy was the best. Yeah, I mean, one of these guys in the articles, you know, equated it to having a, you know, a peeing section in a public pool. So, I mean, of course, <laughs> it's going to dissipate <laughs> across different areas. But I don't know. Psychologically, we might be looking at Sweden. I mean, I was just out and about on Saturday, uh, first time on the golf course, and it's just – I think psychologically people are done, you know. I, I, I think I really do. I think it would be tough to get them uh, to gear up again for, for another round once they, once they have some kind of taste of normality, which, which, which we will over the next few weeks. So um, we, might, we might have just – Especially made going into the summer months. Yeah, especially going into summer months. So, so time will tell. I mean, we'll have to monitor it. But I, I think it, it might be difficult to reinstate a quarantine, you know, after, after you get some newfound uh, liberties over, over a, a few-week period. I, yeah, I agree. I, I was out and about this weekend as well, and uh, it seemed like it was just business as usual before COVID with people going out to eat and restaurants were, were full. They were trying to impose some uh, social distancing guidelines, but if you're in a restaurant and, and someone's waiting on you, you're sitting across from people and you're, someone else is cooking your food, I mean, I don't really see how any part of that is, <laughs> is social distancing. So I it will be curious to see how it impacts some states. And if we do see a really, really increase in cases and, and will people then follow suit and, and go back into quarantine? I, I'm with you. I highly doubt it. Yeah. I mean, and then even in kind of a, you know, an investing specter, um, you know, we had BlackRock kind of talking about, you know, there should be kind of a move to normality in terms of, you know, investment strategies as well. And it might be some time to reduce, you know, your exposure to, to government bonds and, and to take on a little more risk. So let's kind of talk about, you know, BlackRock's recent analysis and, and uh, why they're saying what they're saying. Well, it was interesting because they were talking about reorganization of global supply chains that started before the pandemic and then heightened trade wars and that they were having a big impact on uh, corporate product, corporate uh, profits and then also inflation. Uh, and so they were seeing a big flood into government bonds, especially now as we've seen big decreases. Uh, but now with what they were saying is, is that they're really favoring the, the equities over because of uh, maybe differences in, in cash flows as well as the being able to get high quality equities at a discount right now and that to since the yields are so low on the, the government bonds that it, that equities may be a, a better place. Yeah. And of course, we should mention, too, that the way it's played out, it seems that the governments are going to be, you know, wildly accommodating in terms of, you know, alleviating some of the damage done to the economy. So, you know, we've already seen huge, huge investments in you know, small business loans, and we've seen, you know, the potential of, uh, of more, you know, more paychecks. Um, so, so governments, it, it appears that they're going to do all they can to stop the bleeding, and they're going to pursue a very Keynesian route, which, which is going to, you know, offset a lot of the concerns markets might have otherwise, if, if there was more of an austerity route. Right. And you can see a lot of these, these cash flows that are going into these markets be, be propping up propping up equities. I mean, as we've seen, we've seen a lot of companies cut and 
thousands of employees, which could be one from just the coronavirus, but then also from efficiency, they may see that they, they didn't need all of uh, the employees that they had. They also may be able to find some efficiencies with not having to pay for workspace and have uh, reduced costs there. Uh, but it is curious to see that we have seen companies and different companies are taking different stances, but we have seen some companies uh, continue to continue to pay their their dividend, but then cut thousands of, of workers. So what's your take on some of these companies? I know there's Caterpillar is one of them. Uh, there's a couple other ones out there, but, but what's your take on them firing employees, but then also keeping their dividend payment? Well, Caterpillar just gave, uh, they announced a $500 million distribution to shareholders um, on, on April 8th. And so that was, you know, two weeks after they say they're going to close a lot of plants down. So they're certainly one. Um, but yeah, I mean, the optics are, the optics are awful. Uh, I mean, I understand that they're trying to inundate their or protect their, you know, their share price a little bit. And, and then and doing so is to continue, you know, the same regularly quarterly dividends to shareholders as you've always done. But, you know, at the expense of other stakeholders, you know, when you're when you're laying off, um, you're for lowering your workers or you're, you're uh, you know, taking less orders from your suppliers and you're doing all these other things, uh, you know, that that's going to do considerable damage. Um, so, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot more renewed debate now than we had this concept in the 80s that a corporation's primary job is to its shareholders, but now there's an increased emphasis on other stakeholders as well, whether we're talking about the workers or the suppliers and, and everyone else that is really vested in the system. So, yeah, I think, you know, Caterpillar is going to, you know, get, get there's going to be a backlash um, and, and, and any other companies that, that you know, might be, might be in the same realm. So, um, so yeah, I mean, Levi Strauss is another one too, right? Um, they, uh, they, they forelode, you know, up over 4,000 people. And then, you know, they announced on April 7th, uh, they were going to stop, you know, paying store workers. And then now they're, they're returning, um, like $32 million to shareholders. So it's, they're really, they're really going to have to play, uh, they're playing with fire, I think when this is all said and done. I agree, but it's it's also interesting because of the optics of it, right? Because a lot of these larger U.S. companies have chosen to pay their regular quarterly dividend, and then they want to increase it, and they boast about being able to make the payments because they're such a stable and reliable company. And and so I think that some of them want to keep their their quarterly dividend to show the optics that they're still strong through this through this recession, really when because they're worried about the optics. If they drop their quarterly dividend, people may think that they're not uh, as financially stable and they may dump the stock. Whereas, it, as we're discussing, it may have the opposite optics. And this may be the one time that you could you could have a, a dividend drop and there wouldn't really be the repercussions because I think people and investors may understand that they're, they're withholding some of the cash to help support some of their, their employees or improve their liquidity or, or for whatever reason they, they do. Uh, it's just interesting to see that, especially because we, we see the stats that come around that almost 70% of all dividends go to taxpayers with incomes over $200,000. So a lot of the, the dividends that do go out to payment are 
for people who are in the higher tax brackets as well, while the uh, the people who are getting laid off are, are usually in in the lower tax bracket. So it's it's just interesting to see that that wealth distribution be created from that aspect as well. Yeah, I mean the stock market's you know in some ways it's about as democratic as it's ever been, but that doesn't mean you know there's still huge segments of the uh, the country that aren't playing in it or they're not they just they're not exposed to you know brokerage accounts and. And things like dividends is, you know, they're, the government paycheck they got is the closest thing, you know, they do get to dividends is, you know, whether it's Social Security or we or UBI. So, you know, that's, this is, people are currently experiencing kind of what a dividend is, whereas, you know, yeah, I mean, the vast majority of people who have it, you know, close to that 70% number are, are people who are making over $200,000. Um, so, and, and, and there's discussions to, you know, uh, to further you know, the economy-wide Paycheck Guarantee Act, you know, you saw Nancy Pelosi had a virtual roundtable with small business owners uh, last week um, because we're, you know, we had that six, you know, $170 billion that Congress has allocated so far that's, you know, at risk of exhausting. So there is certainly discussions of continuing the program and um, and, and, and finding ways to, to further, you know, help out small businesses and and, and, and consumers across the country. It is. I, I also saw another uh, another plan called the Restart Program. It was a bipartisan one. Uh, that, that's also interesting because they want to provide funding to cover the next six months of payroll benefits and fixed operating costs for businesses that take in a uh, really big revenue hit during the COVID-19. So it would be interesting to see, since there is some bipartisan support to see if, see if that goes. Uh, it, it is interesting to see that the SBA, some of the bigger, larger companies that it was not really intended for, are, are beginning to return some of the money, which is which is good to hear. But uh, overall, it, it's good to see that we are seeing the a lot of the people in Washington to, to go back to the drawing board and continue to provide liquidity to the market and to individuals. Yeah. One thing that is interesting, though, is is that we are seeing a lot of the swing stater votes want to, want to get uh, more direct payments. And uh, it <laughs> may make sense in an election year to, to have that. So across key states like Arizona, Florida, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, a lot of recipients probably, I think it's almost three quarters, uh, are improve, approval of continuing government relief payments to Americans. So I, I think that may be one of the reasons why we're continuing to see uh, a lot of folks in Washington continue to negotiate uh, additional additional funding. Yeah, only 22% of likely voters in those states, you know, disapprove of further government relief. Uh, when you look at um, Pennsylvania and Michigan, those are some of the states that are some of the hardest hit uh, in, in Michigan and Pennsylvania. I mean, 46% of people in Michigan, um, you know, had a member of the household that's lost a job or been furloughed. And, and in Pennsylvania, that number is 40% of these survey respondents. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, it might change the dynamics quite a bit uh, when, we're, when we're looking at what we're comfortable with in terms of um, the role of a government response when, when the voters in this country that matter, uh, you know, uh, in terms of the, the swing states are, are are definitely approving of, of you know, all the stimulus. And, and then when we're looking at Arizona and Florida and Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, if it's popular there, it's going to be a tough sell to, 
you know, to, to turn off the tap, so to speak. And it's interesting to see how it's split in those states based on the survey we're seeing here from Change Research by CNBC that 79% of Democrats strongly agree to support direct payments, whereas 23% of Republicans uh, in those states strongly approve. So it's just the discrepancy there is, is also one thing to note. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, 30% of Republicans uh, somewhat approve. So you, you still got a plurality of the Republican Party who, who are supporting direct payments across those states. Um, certainly less, right. but, but still over 50%, which is, uh, that, that could be surprising of itself, right? Because that's definitely a different position uh, than that party's taken in the past, in past recessions when we're, we're discussing the role of government and, and um, you know, direct, direct monetary support. So. Yeah, that's a great point, and it's no surprise that if we include somewhat approve, uh, then we're up to almost 95% of, <laughs> of Democrats approve there. So yep. not, no big surprise there. Yeah, one thing is, uh, you know, in terms of we should talk a little bit about, you know, um, private companies in, in China uh, and how, how re you know, resilient they've, they've been relative uh, to the pandemic so far. You know, we we're looking at this Economist article. Uh, I mean, Grant, what are some of your thoughts on it? Well, I found it very interesting. Uh, one thing to just start off is we we do see that China's economy is hurting really for the first time in 28 years with their their first decrease in GDP that fell 6.8 percent year over year. And one of the big things is is that we've seen since 1980 when the first private business was really started in China actually someone's selling sh buttons and toys in in a port uh, and, and that really created a grassroots movement for for entrepreneurs to be able to, to have these private firms and they contribute to about three-fifths of the GDP in China which is a, a huge part of, of their GDP and that it's really continuing to grow uh, we see that Jack Ma of Alibaba is actually you know instead of a lot of people having envy towards him. They, they actually look at him and almost idolize him and, and think that they're able to, to follow his story and that could be them one day. And instead of, I think we see a lot of envy in the United States towards, you know, maybe the Bill Gates or the Jeff Bezos of the world. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I mean, I, I studied abroad in, in China back in 2011. And I remember there was a game show. Um, and it became like a really uh, popular uh, sentiment across China, whereas uh, one of the contestants said, you know, I would rather be crying in a Maserati than laughing on a bicycle. So, um, <laughs> you know, that's, 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 uh, that's, that's maybe very different than the perception Americans might have on, you know, society, China society, you know, what, what they, how they pursue wealth and private enterprise on the whole, but it's, it's certainly, it's certainly there. I mean, uh, Unicorns are a big, big, you know, sample of, of, of private enterprise, but, but, you know, there's, there's, there's also just, um, you know, you know, over, over the last 40 years, there's been huge, huge investments in, 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 in private industry and in private wealth funds. So, um, so yeah, uh, you know, and, the, and, and, and that's a great point on the, on the unicorns there. They have 206 privately held companies that are valued over a billion. 
uh, more than any other country in the world. And Beijing alone has 82 of them compared to what we think of Silicon Valley just outside San Francisco only has 55. So it, it is interesting to see how these uh, private companies are really beginning to create these valuations. Yeah. I mean, and of course now, you know, I mean, private companies are going to have, are going to, you know, state of private companies in China's could be a little bit more bleak. I mean, you have, um, you know, a lot of people are going to, are worried about the prospect of, you know, the U S China relationship, um, after, after this is said and done, I mean, it's already intensified from a trade war to now, to now this pandemic. So, uh, you know, there's a lot to be, there's a lot to be concerned about, you know, when we're talking about, uh, transnational companies and, and, the business we do with, with Chinese private companies. Um, and we, yeah, with that, uh, you know, we're kind of coming up on time, you know, is there anything we should be looking at grant over this next week or so, or anything we might've, you know, not, not touched base on? Well, I, I think we covered a lot of ground and it's just really what I'm going to be looking for is continuing to see States opening up and, and what the guidelines are there as well as if there is a, a surge of cases we've seen, We've seen that masks are in the White House going to be required to wear and Western states are now asking for $1 trillion in, in aid. So I think we're just going to continue to follow this closely uh, and, and stay safe and continue washing your hands out there. What about you, Drew? Yeah, uh, you know, there's a big contrast if we're going to have more public support. Um, you know, Mitch McConnell and, and other Republicans in the Senate have indicated that they would like to see some additional liability protections for companies. So finding that balance between, you know, Democrats who, who, who certainly want more stimulus and Republicans who might be receptive to it, but, you know, with increased uh, liability protection, it'll be interesting to see how, uh, how things play out on the Hill and, and what, what future, what future government assistance might look like. So, so with that, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be back with you guys the next week. Hope uh, hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you haven't listened to our special podcast, uh, please do so. I thought it was really insightful. And, uh, and we're out. We'll talk to you later. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked in any of the content. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.